0: my side and nothing formed against me shall stand you hold the whole world in your hands i'm holding on to your promises you are faithful you are faithful before me, I know who stands behind, the God of angel armies is always by my side, the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine, the God of angel armies is always by my side, the God of angel armies is always by my side.
1: And Father, I just pray with that knowledge that you are faithful and you are always by our side, that we would forever be before your face, Lord, that we would seek you out and that, Lord, as you give us your word tonight, I pray, Father, that we would draw realities for our Christian life and, God, we in turn would be found faithful. So we lift up tonight to you once more that you would guide us, teach us, and instruct us to your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor. Greetings. Gene, how are you? Good. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. As you're turning there, uh, David and uh, Jonathan, they they left their guitars out in the rain last night and they shrunk. (laughs) It's kind of cool. I didn't know they had a ukulele bass. Interesting. Second Chronicles chapter 7, we've kind of veered off from our study in Chronicles because of all that was going on this Christmas season. I did one last Christmas message last week. I believe last we were in Second Chronicles was around December 9th, something or sometime around there. But anyway, we've entered into chapter 7, and for the last couple of chronicle studies, we've seen the dedication of Solomon's temple. The Lord has laid it upon King David's heart, but David was a man of war, and that's not what God desired. He wanted a man of peace, and so he told David that it wasn't going to be him who was able to construct this permanent place of praise, but it was going to be his son Solomon. So Solomon has the task completed and now they are dedicating it to the Lord. Last time we met, we saw that the temple, it was God's intent that it would be a house of prayer. Christ confirmed this as he quoted from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 when Christ entered into the temple and he cleansed the temple as they had used it as a, well, as Christ described it, a den of robbers. The intent, well, again, Isaiah 56 verse 7, "...even them I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer." were all the nations. It was a place that well, man was to come, and he was to offer the sacrifice, and through the offered sacrifice, sins would be covered. And because sins were covered, man would have access into the throne room of God. And what I mean by that is that God would hear their prayers. And so it was based upon some sort of sacrifice, because of the sinful nature of man, that would open that door. And we know it was all pointing towards the coming of Jesus Christ. And so tonight we're going to be moving on. We spent two studies looking at the temple as a house of prayer. Tonight we're going to be moving on from the house of prayer and see another facet of what the Lord intended it to be. It was intended to be a house of praise as well. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 26, it says, And they shall come from the cities of Judah, and from the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, and from the lowland, from the mountains, and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and incense, bringing sacrifices of praise to the house of the Lord. And so in that sacrifice, there was the knowledge that I have access to God, to the ear of God, and that my prayers are heard, not because of me, because within ourselves there is nothing that is desirous, but it's because of the sacrifice, the price that was paid. As I said before, Old Testament sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus Christ but also this house of praise. When we're offering sacrifices, or when the Jew was offering sacrifices, he would come to the realization of the goodness of God. That God gave him this privilege to offer sacrifice for the purpose of hearing prayer, for the purpose of covering sin, and he would have a heart, and he would have an understanding that as I come into the presence of a holy God, I'm praising him because our God is mindful of us. Our God dwells, doesn't dwell upon us, but he thinks upon us. And as he thinks upon us, well, this was the focal point, this temple, to offer that praise. And so just as prayer was to radiate out from the temple, so was praise. So keep in the back of your mind the application for us today. The Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit temple of the Holy Spirit or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Because of this, we are to pray without ceasing, but also, as the writer of Hebrews told us, he says in verses or chapter 13, verse 15, that we are to continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, we are told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to pray without ceasing. A person who prays without ceasing understands, once again, that he has the ear of God. Understand what it costs for us to be able to have that that privilege, and it just shows, as we pray without ceasing, that we value that. The writer of Hebrews, keep in mind, he's writing in a to, to Jewish believers, and so this is written from a Jewish perspective. Very possibly he could be thinking of what's written here in Second Chronicles, but he says, "...continually offer the sacrifice of praise, to give of ourselves, give up of ourselves, and just simply to open ourselves to God and to praise his name. He says that is the fruit of our lips. We are to do so vocally, outwardly, giving thanks to his name. Again, his name, the nature and the essence of who he is." And so based upon all that God has done, because he is good, because he is kind, because he is long-suffering, because he is gracious, and because he is loving, we praise the Lord. We'll get into that in a little bit, what that means. So looking at verses 1 through 3, When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Previously in chapter 5, we saw a cloud filled the temple, but both of them represent the presence of God. Verse 2, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord of the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground and on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The glory of the Lord, as I said, was the result of the presence of God in the sight of man. The glory of the Lord would be the only way that man would be able to physically see God, Now, the Bible tells us no man can look upon God and live. And the idea is is that the absolute purity of God, the absolute holiness of God would consume sinful man. And so his glory is how man would know that God was there. And so here's Solomon. David said, and Solomon did it, we're going to build the temple. Well, how do you know it's of the Lord? Well, because God told my father so many years ago. And so they go through, and you can equate this even back to Moses and the building of the tabernacle. How do we know it's acceptable to God? How do we know in this reality of what man has done, if God is accepting of it? Well, the glory filled the temple. And again, to the Jewish mind, the presence of God is there. And we need to bring that fast forward into our lives. How do I know I... I really received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. How do I know that I'm right with God? Because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because no longer can I sin in peace. No longer can I live a life contrary to God without guilt, without conviction within my life. And that's all the work of the Holy Spirit. No longer can I do that which is contrary to God without my conscience being vexed. Again, it's proof of the Holy Spirit, which in turn is proof of my salvation. And so the standard, as far as the presence of God, the glory of God, it was set when Moses asked to see God in Exodus chapter 33, verses 20 through 23. But he said, God's response, "'You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live.'" And the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft or the fold of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take my hand and you shall take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so what we see here is is a picture, again, Moses wants to see God, but no man can look upon God and no man can look upon him and live. So God Place them, it says, on a rock and even in the fold of a rock. And we're told that God passed by and he only saw the hind parts. And so the best description that I have for that would be looking at the sun. I can't look directly upon the sun but I can see the rays of the sun, or the effects of the sun, or a meteorite. When we see him going through the, the, the sky, what we see is that elongated tail that radiates from them. There's the, the hot spot, there's, there, there's God, and all Moses got a glimpse of, if you will, would be that, would be that tail. Now, it's through Jesus Christ, because he washes our sins away, that we are boldly able to enter into the throne room of God. It's only through Jesus Christ that man is able to see God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. This is what Isaiah the prophet saw when he got a glimpse of the throne room of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, it says, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke, or filled with a cloud. Again, you can go back to chapter chapter 5, and see the parallel there in verse 13. So again, it's the presence of God. And it's what the apostle Paul saw on the road to Damascus on the day that his life was changed, when the risen Lord appeared to him as he was going to persecute God's people. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says, As he, as Paul, journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And so there was the presence of a holy God. And so to the Jewish mind, that would simply speak volumes, especially to the Apostle Paul, that would speak volumes. And so Paul, when this glory shone around him, he had to have an inkling at his first sight of that, that something special was happening. And again, we know that this was a revelation of the risen Lord, of the glorified Lord. Now with this information concerning this portion of the Lord's consider the portion of the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is not so much what we see in Matthew chapter 6, but in John chapter 17. Matthew chapter 6, it's called the Our Father, and so on and so forth, but that would be more of a disciple's prayer. The Lord's Prayer, and the prayer that the Lord prayed in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 22, He said, I do not pray for these alone. He's talking about as an apostles, but also those who will believe in me through their word. That would be us. It's through their word that was passed down throughout the church age. He's speaking of the future uh, born-again believers. Those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. So again, the glory, the presence of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, in him, in Christ, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so just as, if you will, that tabernacle, and then later on the temple, was sealed by the presence of God that was seen through the glory of God, it's the same thing in our lives. And again, it's important that we recognize the existence of the Holy Spirit within our life. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches us and instructs us, as I said earlier, that convicts us. As I see the Holy Spirit, as I experience the Holy Spirit in my life, and all born-again believers, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, that's a proof of your salvation. It's also, if you back up a little bit, it's a proof of who Jesus Christ was. Because remember, Jesus Christ came. He fulfilled all of the scriptures concerning him. He was crucified. He died. He descended into heaven. And he said, Father, I will send the helper. We know that to the Holy Spirit. And so as we see all of these things play out, we see the proof of God. We see the proof of Jesus Christ and we see the proof of our salvation, and it's that which strengthens us in the difficult days. Look at verse 1. It says, When Solomon had finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now equating that with what happened back in the book of Acts in chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, that's what's going on back at the dedication of the temple. I don't think everybody in Israel that was there, but at least everybody was represented there through the leaders of the clans and the tribes and so on and so forth was quite a few people there. It says in verse 2, in Acts chapter 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit, as the Spirit, gave them utterance. And so again, you see this parallel just as surely as Solomon's dedication. You have the sacrifice and they're praying and all of a sudden this fire comes down from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice and the place is filled with the glory of God. That's basically what was happening in that upper room back in Acts chapter 2. Didn't consume the sacrifice, but filled the sacrifice, the living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to me. And that's what they were doing in Acts chapter 2. But again, we see these parallels as God worked this way in Second Chronicles. We see in Acts, Acts a very similar way so that we would understand and we would know that this is the Lord and this is the way that the Lord works. Then we have the response of the people. And what is the response of the people? The last part of verse 3, they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. When man comes into the presence of a holy God, and we'll just look at the portion of God's people who come into the presence of God Every time you see man on his face before God, you see man worshiping before God, because when man stands before a holy God, he comes into an understanding of the magnitude of who God is. That's why we're told that the great white throne judgment, every mouth will be stopped. When mankind, now this is mankind apart from a relationship with God, when he stands before God, he stands before a holy God, he'll come to understanding of the magnitude of his glory, magnitude of his knowledge, the magnitude of his wisdom and his power. And as he is standing there, again, it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, every mouth will be stopped. Man will come to the understanding of the sinful nature and the purity of God and the necessity for judgment. Well, here his people, because of the sacrifice, because of the knowledge that their sins are covered, and God enters into that temple. And again, they just see him through his his glory. They worship and praise God. Worship and praise, a lot of times will say worship and praise, but worship and praise, praise is a form of worship. The act of worship takes on many forms, and one of them is praise. Biblically speaking, God is praised by, we see different parts in the scriptures, by singing, by dancing, by speaking, and even with instruments. Praise is an outward expression of passion for the purpose of worship. It's that which we give of our all to the Lord because we understand just the magnitude of what He has done, and we also understand the magnitude of which we were lost and how God has truly given us grace just because He simply loves the world. Praise can be maybe the best illustration is a nice, quiet, soft song and just quietly worshiping the Lord and then one a little bit more and just outward lifting arms and just praising God. Again, it's that outward expression of that inward desire to truly worship Him. And a matter of fact, I think it's even a it's the realization of the constraints that we have today to truly unleash praise before God doing the best that we can with what we've gotten and so the people the people are now praising God because there's the knowledge of the presence of God he has accepted the sacrifice but notice because he has accepted the sacrifice they continue sacrificing in verse 4 through 7 <clears throat> Then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So you can imagine the sacrifice that was going on that day. You know how when you, uh, on a holiday or whatever, and you barbecue a good piece of meat and it smells really good? Can you imagine what it was smelling that day? So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God, and the priests attended to their services. The Levites also with instruments of music of the Lord, which King David made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever, whenever David offered praise by their ministry. The priests sounded trumpets opposite them while all Israel stood. Furthermore, Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord for there he offered burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to receive the burnt offerings and the grain offerings of the fat the that bronze altar was about 900 square feet this room i think is about 4,000 square feet I think it is yeah so 900 square feet is is a good amount right here there's a good corner right here and and it wasn't big enough well you can imagine with all of the um, offerings that they were given and so it was expanded and that's the idea because of the knowledge of the presence of God and the value in the sight of the people of the sacrifice they're just freely given to the Lord Now, they're they're given of their substance. These things that they are sacrificing to the Lord are, are, are valuable and necessary for their substance, but they understand just as truly as God has given to us, as we give back to Him, He'll continue to provide for us. It's time to worship the Lord, and they're of the mindset, all, if you will, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. And again, God is here amongst us, the people are thinking. We're in the capital, and not as only God for us as individuals, but also collectively as well. Now, there are four key elements of praise in the exhortation of our soul to praise God for who he is and all that he has done. Just basically four elements of praise that I I just want to quickly visit here. First, to properly praise the Lord, it takes our effort. It, it takes effort to do so. Praise is not something to be done in an apathetic, passive state. True praise is to be passionate, and it is to be from our hearts. And so it, it's going to require something of me. It, it's, I, I just can't properly praise the Lord just, just sitting there, but I have to be of the mindset to truly enter in, And it's one of those things that once you make the decision to enter in, and then you'll you'll experience the Spirit. And as you experience the Spirit, as with all things, the Spirit will lead you as God has called you. Secondly, praise must engage our minds. I can't do so empty-minded. God has given us a mind, and he has done so for a purpose. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be under the influence of the Spirit. And as the Spirit guides, I must have a mind to open myself to his leading. We must praise God for who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. So I must consider the things. I must consider how lost I was But I must consider the grace of God that, well, the love of God as he has lavished upon me that I should be called the child of God. And as again, as I come to this realization of these things, as I think upon these things, I've used this term a lot lately, but I think it's important, especially as we enter into a new year, as I meditate upon these things, as I meditate upon the things that God has done, and I engage my mind in these things, praise is going to spring forth. If you have not set your mind upon God in your worship, then you're not truly praising the Lord. Praise, thirdly, is only possible because of the word of God. If not for the word of God, how can we possibly know God? If we do not know God, then how can we properly praise God? I must know of God, I must know of the things that He has done, I must know of the things that He is doing in my life, and I must understand the things that He will do in my life. And again, all of these things come together and they're unleashed through a heart that desires to praise Him. And if you want to come into a deeper state of praise, you've got to get deeper into God's Word because once again, it's then that you come into a deeper understanding of the Lord and all that He's done. Fourthly, Proper praise is to be personal. The only way that God will be praised in this place is if each member determines within their hearts to enter in. And and so what the people are seeing here back in chapter 7, they're realizing what God has done. They're their understanding through their minds, and because of God's word and what He's done in the past, I would imagine their thoughts are towards the tabernacle when Moses offered it, God's glory filled it. Now here's the temple, and God's glory is filling with it or filling it. And all of these things come together, and they're truly praising the Lord. And so personal praise? Well, our worship team, tonight, David and Jonathan, but whoever is up here, it doesn't matter they prepare the meal. And they set the table, but you have to come to the table of praise and partake yourself. You have to be of that mindset. Because what we have been conditioned in our society is to sit and partake, almost as if it's an entertainment. And really for somebody to say, you know what, I don't like that worship leader. I don't like that worship team. We're kind of missing, we're we're missing the mark there. Yeah, I mean, if somebody's in sin or whatever it might be, yeah, that's one completely different thing. But truly, with a person who desires to lead worship, you have to understand that that's their connection with the Lord, and they're worshiping the Lord, and it's up to you to enter in and for you to worship the Lord as well. They're just leading. They're just providing the opportunity. The opportunity is set according to the clock and according to the worship team, but it doesn't just stop here as well. We can praise the Lord any opportunity that we have. What, what what is the time? I mean, the times that you probably, if you're like me, you sing out the greatest in your car, maybe in the shower, wherever it might be. But you know, again, it's just an opportunity to shout out and to praise the Lord. And so I need to have these. This mindset that praise, it's not following a formula. I'm just giving you some direction. You don't have to go through the checklist, but these things are necessary. I need to give of myself to a God who has given all to me. And if I do that, I'll see praise springing forth. So Solomon has set the table of praise, and these people have made the determination that they're going to enter in. And as all it took was one person praising for everybody else to enter in. Solomon starts sacrificing and the people are sacrificing. Solomon, we see all of these sacrifices that, are, that he's offering. Well, he was a man of great wealth. There was the humble and the poor people that were sacrificing as well. And God was receptive of it all. Verse 8. At that time, Solomon kept the feast seven days, and all of Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly, for they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents, or he sent them home, joyful and glad of heart, For the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and Solomon successfully accomplished all that came into his heart to make make in the house of the Lord and in his own house." So from the north end of Israel, which is Hamath, that was the farthest extent of Solomon's kingdom, to the southern end, the brook of Egypt, all the people are represented. Again, I don't think every person in the country was in uh, Jerusalem at that time, but they were at least represented. The leaders of the tribes were there, so in theory, they were there. They were not just represented, but they were also praising God. So this is a national desire and reality of this country praising god the seven day feast of dedication and the celebration of the feast of tabernacles is now complete and the people they must return home but as they return home they're joyful because they're filled with god's grace knowing who he is and knowing what he has done should be the ex- the result of us as we praise the lord here collectively within the church As we're on our way home, we should be taking our praises with us. There should, again, be the remembrance, the continual remembrance of the knowledge of God. There should be the continual remembrance of the holiness of God. And again, the great love with God has lavished upon us, and also how God is kind, and also how God is long-suffering in all of these things. And as we meditate or go into deep thought in them, we'll continually have a heart of praise. You don't need to go into your workplace and stand up on a chair and lift your arms and shout out. That wouldn't be a bad thing. It might be a different thing. But just to have that heart that desires to praise the Lord, to just be reminded that I live, I bask in his continual goodness. So, party's over. Everybody goes home to their house, but God's not finished. God's not done. He's got some encouragement to the king, but he's also got a warning for the king. And unfortunately, we know the story because we've seen the parallel accounts in 2 Kings. The people did not follow through. But the good thing about it is the opportunity was always there. And so, as we enter into verses 12 through to the end of the chapter, God has a communique for the king. A couple of things in this. First, God is not approaching Solomon so much. He will later on, but on a personal level. But he's approaching him as the king of Israel. He's approaching him at a corporate level. Solomon is the one who stands in the gap. He's representing the people. Now, he's representing not so much as a priest is representing the people, but how, how they conduct their lives and what is allowed in the land, the things that the king has stewardship over it over, he, he, he's, he's giving Solomon uh, an encouragement and, and a warning here. We see in the book of Revelation in chapters two and chapter three, the Lord has a message to the messenger of the church, and it's believed that the messenger of the church in those two chapters are the pastors of the church in those days. And so, as he is speaking to the pastor here, as he is speaking to the king, the idea is he's speaking to the one who has stewardship, in Solomon's case, over the people and over the land. The message is not to the man, or it's not to the man generally, but it's to God's people specifically. Also, this message is not to a country, but to believers in that country. And it's important for us to understand as we go forward and what I'm going to be talking about, the message is not just to the country in general. The message is to born-again believers because as born-again believers, we are responsible to be obedient to God's word. It's necessary for us to, to do the things that God has called us to do. So often, we'll, we'll hear the things and we'll maybe agree with the things, but are we doing the things? Kind of combine it with the message this morning. And we ought not to consider that the unbelievers should be doing these things because the unbeliever, the only prayer that God hears of the unbeliever is his prayer of repentance, Man must get right with a holy God before these things would take effect in his life and how much more so corporately. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man, the sensual man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But woe to the people of a nation who consider the things of the Lord foolishness to them. And so these things God has given, and we can look at these things and say, well, these things are Old Testament, and we have a new covenant now, and that's so true, but we still see the revealed nature of God. And again, it's important because the church, I think the church loses its way kind of easily, especially when it comes to the political arena. We need to see that this is according to born-again believers and how we are to act according to God. And so as far as God's blessing upon a nation, it's not going to come at the ballot box. It's going to come from our hearts, the hearts of the believer as we're obedient to the Lord. Donald Trump used the slogan, make America great. Donald Trump does not have the ability to make America great. It's only God who can make America great. I pray for Donald Trump's heart and I pray that he has a heart for the Lord and God uses him, but it's going to be God who makes America great and the only way that God will make America great is if America has a heart for the Lord. And so I want to close, still got a little while here, but with three things. (laughs) I'm not committing to closing quick here, Um, but three things that I want to look at. First, a a dynamic of a nation that God will bless is repentance. "'True repentance is the turning to God in sincerity.'" Verses 12 through 13. "'Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night "'and said to him, "'I have heard your prayer "'and have chosen this place for myself "'as a house of sacrifice.'" when I put up, uh, shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence amongst my people. And we'll continue that thought in a little bit in the next point. But in verse 12, notice that last word, is house of sacrifice. This house of prayer, this house of praise is also a house of sacrifice. Now, why would you offer sacrifice? It wasn't to be just a knee-jerk reaction to the sins that you have committed But to come to God with sacrifice in hand and place it upon the altar and ask God that he would forgive you based upon a repentant heart before the Lord. And so, verse 14, before we get into it, we have to understand and know that this is based upon, well, in context, the sacrifice, in reality, a repentant heart before God. And again, God is speaking to his people. What does it mean to really repent? Well, first, a person who have, a people who have truly repented will openly confess specific sins. Now, when I say openly confess, we're not going to stand up here and just start confessing sins. I don't want to hear what your sins are. But the idea is, is to openly confess before God on a personal level. And... Should it be done vocally? That's not a bad thing, but the idea is is for us to recognize our sins and our sinful nature and to confess that before God. Sometimes in our general repenting, we'll ignore certain sins within our lives. This is to go deep and to reveal those things. Well, as these things are revealed to us, to repent, to ask forgiveness of them before God. With confession of specific sins, we are forced to face the deep, dark places of our life and to seek out that complete cleansing. It's why so many Christians continue to struggle with issues in their lives. They haven't admit that there's sin within their life. They haven't, and maybe they put the label of sin on it, but they haven't taken possession that, yes, these are sins and I have committed these sins and I have sinned against you, Lord, and you alone. And then coming before the Lord and seeking that cleansing. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8-9, through 9, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you look at it kind of from the opposite. It says, if we conf- but if we don't confess our sins, then He's not going to forgive us of our sins, and He's not going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, for a born-again believer who sins, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're not going to get into heaven, but you're going to suffer the effects of your sins. And so a true forgiveness of sins is a complete release of guilt. It's to have peace before a holy God. Next, the people who are truly repentant will exhibit contrition. Contrition is a deep sorrow for sin Grief of heart for having offended an infinite, holy, and benevolent God. It's to truly be sorry for what you have done. In Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God, and the sacrifices that are acceptable to God, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. The reason someone continues to struggle with a certain sin is because they have not come to the point of truly mourning over it. Mourning over it, those who mourn will be comforted. You come to the place where you understand sin, and and it's just a matter of entreating God and asking God that he would relieve you of this and take it from you. God desires that sinners sense their guilt and weep within themselves for what sins they have done, and sins that we have done that destroy self, destroy neighbor, and dishonor Christ. That we would be open and honest before the Lord, and we would give them over to the Lord, because we truly are repulsed by what we have done, and who we are apart from Christ. Thirdly, if people have truly repented, we've got confession, contrition, and there will be a noticeable conversion. Once again one of those compound words con means around version means to turn it's to turn around it's to no longer go in that direction it's to flee youthful lust it's to understand the things that cause you to, that that tempt you and to draw you in that you would no longer visit those areas of your life but that you would flee those areas They simply are not the same people today that they were yesterday, those who have received the forgiveness that God has given. Secondly, another dynamic of a nation that God will bless is obedience, verses 14 through 18. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if, big word there, if you walk before me as your father David walked, and according to all that I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom as I... Um, coveted with David your father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man as ruler in Israel. So, verse 14, again, putting it in context, what does it mean to heal the land? Well, what was it that vexed the land? It says in verse 13, When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence amongst my people. Taking it into our day, we understand what's going to be happen in the time of tribulation. There's going to be natural disasters and earthquakes that are just off the chart. But as God's people are seeking after him, what we experienced as we looked at last Sunday morning in our prophecy update, we're experiencing the birth pangs. As mankind becomes more and more godless and evil, those birth pangs are going to increase in intensity, and these things are going to happen. But as the people turn to the Lord, as there is a proper repentance, those things will be reduced. We know that things are at some point are going to get perpetually evil to such a degree the church will be raptured and the things that we read in the book of Revelation will come upon the people of this nation. So again, you have that huge word that looms at the beginning of verse 14, that word if. And a matter of fact, this is an if-then verse. The choice, the choice is ours. We have to understand the very first thing that we see is If my people, this puts the responsibility at our doorstep. And so the things that follow, we must consider, are these the things that we are doing? We need to quit waiting around for the world or these things just to happen, but God has called us to go and to make disciples. They're not going to just bring prayer back into the school. They're not going to just stop abortion. They're not going to restore marriage back to how God intended it. They're not going to, well, fill in the sin, and they're just not going to stop because they're doing, which is common to the natural man. But God's people need to stop doing these things. God's people need to come back to righteousness and holiness. God's people have to start acting like God's people and take the lead in these things and stop waiting on the world or waiting on the elected official to take the lead in these things. Revival, Revival starts in our own heart. If my people who are called by my name, secondly, will humble themselves. This is to make Jesus the Lord over your life. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, you'll find the source of your disobedience is pride. And this is to give up pride and to truly submit yourself to the word of God because the word of God comes from the mouth of God. And if God, if Jesus is truly your Lord, and then we will follow through in obedience. But if we're living a life of disobedience, is he really the Lord of your life? Keeping in mind that Lord and Savior, they go hand in hand. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, Peter writes, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And the idea is that we would examine ourselves to know and to make sure that we are living lives that honor the Lord and are obedient to him. Thirdly, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And so again, God has vexed the land And it's because his people are not living life as they should. And he's directed this, made sure that they know this is all about his people. If you humble yourself, but it's not good just to humble yourself. Humble yourself and pray. To understand that it's God who is in control. To understand that he is seated upon the throne that oversees all the occurrences of mankind. That the things that are happening are happening for a reason. Once again, we look around and we think, what in the world is going on? Things are out of control. They're not out of control. God is got his hand upon all the things that are going on. They're going on for a purpose. Prayer, prayer is a precious privilege given to us from God in order that we would align ourselves with his will. Fourthly, the fourth thing necessary for God to exalt our nation if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, if you are serious about the healing and preservation of your land and you, re- you realize your place in the process, then you will come before the face of God and report for duty. The idea is, is that talk is cheap and they need to be backed up by actions just as Isaiah did. In Isaiah chapter 6 verses 8 through 9 also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. Think of it this way, when man comes before a holy God, he hides his face, and he bows down before the Lord. But upon the calling of the Lord is to stand up and to look the Lord in the face, because when you look somebody in the face is to assume the responsibility, that we would truly assume the responsibility that God has cast upon us as his chosen people chosen because we are born again believers and that we would follow through in what God has called us to do because when Israel didn't do it Israel was cast to the wind and as they were cast to the wind it wasn't just during the days of Solomon because they rejected Jesus Christ or the days that preceded Solomon even as they rejected Jesus Christ God rejected them They still have the opportunity to become born again during the church age by grace through faith, without a doubt. But we see Israel as it was one of the most loved nations and the strongest nation in the world at this time of Solomon. It had been reduced to almost nothing after the days of the Lord all the way through to 1948. I was, um, I'm reading a book by Bill, I just finished it today, by Bill O'Reilly, it's called Killing the SS. SS is the German Branch, it's the branch of the German army that ran the, the concentration camps. And it's all about the time when um, the Mossad was seeking after these people who were responsible to the death of the Jews. And it's interesting that these men, when they were brought to justice, and these men had done some horrible things, wouldn't even admit it. And it's not even that they denied doing it. They, they wouldn't admit that it was even a crime. You know, the killing of four million people. And just the hard-heartedness, and you see the reality of spiritual warfare. And we need to see this even in our lives and in our sphere of influence as far as our families and our communities and understand that we must be before the face of God. Where do you find the face of God? You find the face of God as you bury your face in the word of God. And it's there that God again reveals himself to you that we would know what his will is. And just as Isaiah said, here I am, send me, and that we would follow through in obedience. And it's not just about healing the land and, you know, having rain come again and the locusts to go. It's not about that. It's to gain the favor of God once again. Those are just expressions of his disfavor so that the people would have the, or God would have the attention of the people. But as we see our land, it's not so much about the locusts and all that, but we just see the state of our society. Oh, Lord, that there would be a turning back to you. Is there going to be a turning back to God? Is there going to be another great revival? I don't know. I don't know. That, that, that's up to God. Somebody had presented that it's very possible that we do not see the United States of America in in time events because there is another great revival Not all the nation is going to get saved, but enough of of the nation got saved so that when the rapture came, the United States was reduced to a third world country. Is that true? Is that going to happen? I don't know, but I do know we need to act as if it could happen. Fifthly, the last thing necessary for God to exalt our nation, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if you are one of his people and you humble yourself, if you pray and seek his face, then you will realize the wickedness that exists within your life, the areas of repentance that is necessary. Wicked ways are just simply our ways that are contrary to his ways. And so, he says, if you do all of these things, then there's the next huge word here, then. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. And so again, I need to personalize this, I need to see these things, am I following through in these things? If not, I need to repent and I need to make the changes. If so, I need to continue doing these things. And then thirdly, the last dynamic of a nation that God this time will not bless is their defiance, verses 19 through 22. But, and again, another huge word, but if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, we know that Israel, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, they're unified right now, but later they'll break apart and they will both go and serve other gods This nation serves the worst false god of all, ourselves. Verse 20, Then I will uproot them from my land, which I have given them, and this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword amongst all peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done thus to the land and this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. And so there was this great temple that was recognized through all the nations in that area of the world. And how mighty it was, and it's just talking, it was trade routes that came from the east and went through Israel to the area of Egypt. And the idea is those who are making that journey on those trade routes will one day see the rubble of the temple and think what in the world happened to that far be it that men of the world would look and see the United States understand this grand and glorious nation that God had shed his grace upon and wonder what happened to that or or the individual individual who's worshiping God and praising God and in the shadow of God's wings and then see a life that life destroyed and think what happened to that And as all it takes is through our disobedience is for God to remove his hand from us. And it's when we come to that realization that we cling to the Lord. Israel, Solomon was gone even as soon as the son that took over, Israel no longer clung to the Lord, but they started seeking that which was not of God. And all of these things, as warnings that God had given from verses 19 to the end of the chapter came to pass and great was their fall. Father, once again, we just thank you, Lord, that you you give us what is necessary for righteousness and holiness. And Father, I pray that we would embrace these things, that Lord, we would see as you have detailed what is expected of us, that we would understand, Lord, these things as we break them apart, as we personalize them and make them real within our lives. And so, Father, I lift up those who have come out tonight, those who are watching online. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would use them. I pray that we would consider the things, Lord, that your word says and, and see, Lord, that we, are, that we are strong. And as much as depends upon us, God, healings would come about in individual lives. And if it be your will, that we would see revival in this nation once again. <clears throat> but regardless, I I pray, Father, that we would assume the responsibility that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that we would be considered faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? Well, it's good to be back on Sunday nights again. We are going to be—we have no foreseeable cancellations of our Sunday nights in the near future, so we'll be marching forward through Second Chronicles. And as I've said so many times, that's the last book of the Bible that we have until we've been through the whole Bible. I'm so looking forward to that, saying at least to myself or to the Lord that have taught through the whole Bible. And again, it'd just be a blessing. Other than that, have a great week. God bless you guys.
0: Us. He has overcome the power of the grave, and the sin that once enslaved, couldn't hold Him in the ground, couldn't keep Him down. Rise with a shout, try out our God's alive, rise holy fire, burn bright, burn bright, Rise with a shout, cry out for freedom. Rise, church, arise, our God's alive. Reigning on his throne, drawing ever close. This hope He'll never let us go Oh, death has been defeated Jesus Christ, Redeemer Conquered hell and freed us Forever we are saved Rise with a shout Cry out, our God's alive Rise, holy fire Burn bright, burn bright Rise with a shout Cry out for freedom church arise our God's alive he alone can save us he will not forsake us he remains forever our Savior see him reign in power stronger than our failures always and forever Savior, rise with a shout, cry out, our God's alive, rise, holy fire, burn bright, burn bright, rise with a shout, cry out for freedom, rise, church, arise, our God's alive. Rise with the shout, cry out, our oh, God's alive. Rise, holy fire, burn bright, burn bright. Rise with the shout, cry out for freedom. Rise, church, arise, our oh, God's alive. Christ, church, arise. Pray for revival.